the Bite Size Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 31st, happy Halloween, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Ethel Waters. She was born on this day in 1896. Oh, Ethel, I adore you so. I first encountered Ethel when I watched Cabin in the Sky as a child. Cabin in the Sky also starred Lena Horne and Eddie Anderson, who we covered back on our September 18th episode. This movie was an all-black musical that was sort of dropped into the lap of the, at the time, novice director Vincent Minnelli as a test to see what he could do with a low-budget film. It's pretty melodramatic in parts and definitely feeds into the whole film trope of the shiftless, gambling, dishonest black man and his simple-minded, good-hearted, church-going wife and the evil, sexy black temptress but there is some really amazing music left behind by the movie, and it's a fascinating study in early African-American cinema, even though the characters are frustratingly one-dimensional. But Ethel was not a one-dimensional woman in real life. She was bi, but closeted. She was an insanely talented singer and actress. She became one of the highest paid actresses on Broadway. Not just highest paid black actresses, but highest paid actresses in general. She was the second African-American woman to be nominated for an Academy Award. She was the first African-American to star in her own TV show. She was the first black woman to star in any TV show. She was the first black woman to be nominated for a primetime Emmy. Just an all-around like powerhouse of a woman. Yet her start was an unquestionably horrific one. And I do want to give a trigger warning here because we are about to talk about sexual assault. So Ethel was born on Halloween in Chester, Pennsylvania, to a 13-year-old mother named Louise Anderson. Louise had been raped at 12 years old by a 15-year-old family acquaintance named John Waters. And John wanted nothing to do with the product of his assault. And it seemed that Louise didn't want to be reminded of it either, because right after Ethel was born... Her mom quickly got remarried, or I should say remarried, she never married to the first guy, but she got married to a railroad worker named Norman Howard, and Ethel was sent off to live in abject poverty with her grandmother, a maid named Sally, and three other relatives, and the family was very transient, and Ethel never lived in one place for more than a year. And to the whole family, she was this embarrassing product of an assault that no one wanted to remember or think about. As a result, she was never cuddled or loved or encouraged. Her family didn't even really like her, and she talked about this many years later and how hard that was for her. By the time she was 13, Ethel was over five foot nine. Anxious to get out of her life, she married that same year to Merritt Pernsley. He was abusive, and she soon left, running away to work as a maid in Philadelphia at a hotel for $4.75 a week. When she turned 17, she went to a costume party at a nightclub with friends to celebrate, and they persuaded her to sing a few songs, and the audience was so impressed that a guy in the audience who happened to own a club in Baltimore offered her work at the Lincoln Theater, and she started at $10 a week, but the theater manager usually stole all of her tips. So Ethel next moved on to the black vaudeville circuit, but it was a grueling existence, and she had to work, as she put it, from nine until unconscious. She then moved on to a touring carnival for a bit, and then she ended up in Atlanta and started taking gigs singing in clubs. The thing was that that area was kind of Bessie Smith's territory, and Bessie met up with Ethel saying, hey, I know you're in town and you're new, but blues is my realm, so sing other things. So Ethel 
didn't want to start a big problem, so she kind of stuck to ballads and popular tunes. But after a while, she got tired of that, and she ended up leaving town and relocating in Harlem, where she found her place in the Renaissance movement. This was the place to be for Black artists of all mediums, but women blues singers were on top of the heap, right? You had Ma Rainey, Billie Holiday, Lena Horne. These women were all great, and Ethel was in very good company. So Ethel takes a job at a black club called Edmund Seller, and this ends up getting her a contract with a tiny little operation called Cardinal Records, and they made the first ever recordings of Ethel and the fifth album made by a black woman in history. So Ethel's there for a bit, then she gets snatched up by Black Swan, a more established blues label. And while she was there, she got to work with the fabulous Fletcher Henderson as her accompanist. She was there for two years, and then Paramount bought out Black Swan, Stayed on for one more year and then moved over to Columbia Records, where she made one of her most well-known covers, Dinah, and one of a few hits that she would have that decade, including Am I Blue? She performed at the cringingly titled Plantation Club and toured with the Keith Vaudeville Circuit, who performed for white audiences. The 1920s were a period of personal upheaval. Ethel was in a long-term relationship with dancer Ethel Winters. This was her first documented same-sex relationship, and it caused her some internal confusion because she was heavily religious. But nevertheless, they lived together pretty openly. Their friends called them the two Ethels, but she never discussed the status of her relationship with any of her interviewers. And it appears that her religious guilt got the better of her because she left Winters and married a guy named Clyde Edwards in 1929, but that marriage only lasted until 1933. That year was definitely a difficult one for her personally, but it was a really good one professionally. That was the year that she performed at the Cotton Club, singing what would become her signature song, Stormy Weather. Today, this song is mostly associated with Lena Horne because she starred in the film Stormy Weather a decade later, singing this in the grand finale. Ethel felt that Lena had snatched away her signature piece because she was young, pretty, and lighter skinned. But for the 30s, Stormy Weather was Ethel's torch song. Additionally, that year, she starred in Irving Berlin's musical review Thousands Cheer, becoming the first black woman to integrate Broadway and the highest paid performer on Broadway at that time. While she was doing this review, she was also singing in nightclubs and singing on a national radio program with Jack Denny and his orchestra. In 1938, she married for her third and final time to trumpeter Edward Mallory, and they were together for seven years before they divorced. In 1939, she became the first black person to star in her own TV show, The Ethel Waters Show, a 15-minute NBC variety special. There would not be another starring person of color on their own TV show until the Nat King Cole show in 1956. She started her film career in the 1942 comedy Cairo, receiving third billing under Jeanette McDonald and Robert Young, playing a maid, of course, to McDonald's character. It was not well received, but the following year, she starred in the much more successful Cabin in the Sky. We talked about this movie back on our September 18th episode on Eddie Anderson. He starred in the film as well, as I mentioned, as did Lena Horne. Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington had bit musician parts, and the amazing John W. Bubbles we're going to learn about him on February 19th, has a small role as a violent hustler and a card shark. The premise of the film centers on the relationship that Ethel's character Petunia has with her husband, Little Joe, played by Anderson. They are very poor but happy, and that is when Little Joe isn't gambling or hanging out with unsavory characters, though. And the long-suffering Petunia tries to drag him back to church, but he always ends up getting caught up in a craps game. He's also tempted by the town vamp, Georgia, played by Lena Horne. 
Little Joe ends up getting shot in a card game, gone bad, and he's on his deathbed when God gives him a six-month reprieve. And he goes straight for a bit until the devil throws a winning lottery ticket in his lap, which makes him incredibly attractive to the gold-digging Georgia. So Petunia and him split up temporarily, and Joe is with Georgia. And there's a climactic showdown at the end involving like gunfire and tornadoes, and I won't spoil it, but definitely check it out. It's a very interesting movie. On the set, Ethel was, by all accounts, very rough on Lena. Lena was painfully beautiful, and she could sing. Ethel had gained a lot of weight over the last decade, and her character spends most of the film dressed like a dumpy housewife, and Lena gets to spend most of it in pretty sexy attire. So the two of them butted heads over who'd get to sing which songs in the film, with both of them vying to sing a song called Honey in the Honeycomb. First-time director Minnelli angered both of them when he swapped songs, first giving Lena the song, then bowing to Ethel's demands and then handing it over to her. Ethel would also sing the Academy Award-nominated Happiness is Just a Thing called Joe. So Cabin in the Sky comes out, and surprise, the American South starts to complain. First, there was a scene of Lena in a bubble bath that had to be cut. Then they decided to not show it at all, since there were just too many prominent roles featuring black people. I mean, the whole movie is black. There's not one white person in it, so... And one theater in Tennessee even started to show it, and within 30 minutes, the cops showed up and shut it down. Some theaters did show it, but they had their ushers and their ticket takers dress up in blackface. So, yeah. But Ethel's next film would be an even more turbulent experience. Ethel was cast in Pinky, a 1949 race drama about a mixed woman passing as white, starring Jean Crane, who is not mixed at all. Originally, Lena Horne and Dorothy Dandridge had been considered for the part, but the studio decided, like usual, to put a totally white actress in a not-totally-white part. Ethel plays her illiterate laundress grandmother who raised her. It was a controversial film, and it was pretty well-received. However, the board of censors complained about the fact that Jeanne's love interest continued to love her, even after she told him that she was mixed, and they didn't like that there was a white man hugging and kissing a woman who was half-black. Ethel was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Dicey Johnson, but the award that year went to Mercedes McCambridge for her film noir performance in All the King's Men. So Pinky was a very tense set. Ethel and the director John Ford did not get along at all, and it got so bad that Ford quit because of Ethel and was replaced with Ilya Kazan. Studio head Zanuck said that Ford hated that old woman, and Elia said that Ford didn't know how to reach Ethel, but he did add that she was a truly odd combination of old-time religiosity and free-flowing hatred. So did Ethel have a chip on her shoulder? I mean, probably. She had a horrific childhood. Racism was part of her everyday existence. She'd been through three failed marriages and one long-term failed lesbian relationship. She'd never been able to have kids. I mean, I think she's entitled to be a little cynical. 1950 would be her last good year. She won the New York Drama Critics Circle Award for her performance in the play The Member of the Wedding, and she became the first black woman to star in a TV series when she began performing in Beulah, a show about, you guessed it, a maid. The role would be shared between Ethel, Hattie McDaniels, and Louise Beavers, among others, all of who had played predominantly servant-type roles in radio, film, and TV. The role was bounced around so much because Ethel did it for a year, and then she quit, and then Hattie stepped in, but came down with breast cancer, and was out for a while, and then Louise was asked to step in. It is not a show that aged well. The sassy mammy type and the Uncle Tom trope were starting to get tired even in the 50s, and today they're just uncomfortable to watch. Ethel felt the same way, because her reason for quitting the show was the degrading portrayal of people of color. By 1955, things were in a downhill slide for Ethel. 
She was massively in debt to the IRS due to back taxes, and they seized her royalties. There was a robbery at her house that cost her tens of thousands of dollars in jewels and cash. Her weight was out of control. She was almost 400 pounds, and it caused her a lot of health issues. And she was alone. None of her relationships had worked out. She didn't have kids, and her personality made it pretty hard for most people to get close to her. One night in 1957, when she was at her absolute lowest, she went to go see the Billy Graham crusade in Madison Square Garden, and she felt that she had been missing a close relationship with God, and that was why her life had sort of fallen apart. So she ended up rededicating herself to Christianity and spent the rest of her life in religious studies and work and activities and even toured the country with Billy for a time. She passed away at age 80 in 1977 from uterine cancer and kidney failure. My sources today were Wikipedia, PBS, and the Smithsonian. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Ethel Waters. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of Rose Valland, the French art historian who secretly saved thousands of works of art from the Nazis. See you then.